many of you, if not all of you, um, were aware of kind of my life before coming to Single Mountain Bible Church. Um, I was a pastor in another church, but the but really kind of my main job, what I spent most of my week doing was counseling. And every now and then, it was rare, um, someone would come into my office who had uh, Munchausen's disease. This is, a, this is a disorder where somebody believes that they're sick, but they're not. And it's everything inside of them is telling them that they're sick. And so they run through countless doctors, and uh, it's, it's, it's really debilitating and, and sad and, and difficult. And normally it takes a really long time to figure out what's going on. Thankfully, thankfully, that's, that's a pretty uncommon predicament of someone, someone really thinking they're sick when they're, when they're really not. Way more common, and something that I have seen all throughout my career as a, as a counselor and a pastor as I'm, as I'm helping people, is are people who are living in the state of denial. Denial. Um, uh, this is very, a very common word used in the uh, world of drug and alcohol uh, rehabilitation, that one of the first things that you've got to break through in order to really help an alcoholic is that, uh, is that they're in denial, and they're denying that they have a problem. They don't believe that they have a problem. Many, many years ago, 20 years ago or so, um, I had a young man, and he was drinking more than anybody I'd ever met in my life, but he told me he was not an alcoholic because he didn't hide his liquor. And he really believed this. He was in this state of denial. He was killing himself, but he didn't believe he had a problem because he was in this state of denial of how he was operating and how he was handling his issues. I've had friends in the counseling world who have really tried to... uh, who've done a lot of good work with working with medical doctors because there are certain uh, medical issues in which people really struggle with this whole aspect of denial. One of, one of the common ones is diabetes, that, that you have someone who has this disorder and that their body is shutting down and can't process sugars right, and it's a fatal, horrific disease. My uncle had to have his leg amputated because of diabetes, and yet... There are some folks that are living with a disease like that and they think they're okay. And so they just go about life as normal. My uncle would travel with a cooler with soda in it wherever he went. This whole aspect of denial is a big deal. It's it's a strong force in someone's life. One of my good friends from seminary was diabetic and we would oftentimes go together. It was it was it was. Un, well, maybe about once a month we would all go out and eat together and we would all go to Bob Evans. That's a Midwestern, Northern restaurant, kind of like IHOP. And we would go to Bob Evans and my friend would get, this would be his dinner. His dinner would be the chocolate chip pancakes with syrup, whipped cream, orange juice, and he would also get a dessert. And we would tell him over and over again, we would say, Robbie, this is not good, this is not healthy. And he would say, ah, I'm okay. And he would take out his pump, which looked a whole lot like this at the time, and just give it four or five pumps. Robbie didn't make it to the age of 40. He died from diabetes. And he was 
most of the life, his life that I knew him, he was in this state of denial about the reality of his situation. Much the same way, Christians, we have an enemy that wants to keep us in a state of denial about the reality of the situation in which we're living. You see, one of the things with denial, my definition of this, and this is, this is my definition, and so it's probably lacking. So my definition of denial is a, a state of mind, a state of mind in which helps us to focus or keeps us focusing on an alternative reality. So there's a mindset, and that mindset helps us to focus on this alternative reality so that we can maintain a certain behavior with not a lot of guilt. And there's an enemy that's out for us as Christians whose job is to try to influence us to think about this world in such a way that it keeps us in a pattern of ungodly, unhealthy, unloving behaviors. And we are dealing this morning, our text is dealing with this whole idea of are we going to see the world correctly? Are we going to see the world accurately? Do we know what reality truly is? Or as Christians, are we going to be a a people who take our eyes and our focus off of the the greatest realities in the world and get lulled into focusing on things that we're not to be focusing on? Things that will make us ineffective. Things that will make us useless to the kingdom. Things that could kill us. And my goal today, if you are in this denial, is to help you get out of that. To see and rejoice in the reality of your situation. See, if I were to ask you before we got started this morning, what is the, what is the most real thing that you know? Some of you would have said gravity or oxygen or Whatever. Alabama football, some of you. Blasphemous. Brothers and sisters, the most real thing in the universe is what God has revealed to us about Himself and our relationship with Him. There is nothing more real in the universe than the fact that God created this world, that man in his rebellion fell, and that we are under the curse of sin. Both by nature and by choice, we are under the effects of sin, and we are sinners, and we are hopeless and helpless, but God made a way By sending His Son to die on a cross so that those who put their faith and trust in Him are no longer alienated from God. But that we can draw near to Him and we have a relationship with Him. 
1 Peter puts it this way. You remember back to our study on 1 Peter? Where it says that He has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Into an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, being kept in heaven for us. And then a little later it says this, Although you do not physically see Him, you what? You love Him. It is reality. Although you do not see Him, you believe. And the greatest reality of the universe for those who believe and trust in Jesus, those who are believing are receiving the reward, the salvation of your soul. This is the greatest reality of the universe. The problem is that we get caught up. We get distracted. We focus on things of this world. These temporal things and, and, and things that are going on around us invade our thoughts and our mind and our our, our, our thought processes, and they become more important. And, and this world and the things of this world become reality. And it pulls us and pushes us away from where we need to be. In our text this morning, Peter is dealing with, and we've said this over and over again, that the, the heresy that is going on, the false teachers are teaching that there is no second coming. And we've said over and over that these ideas have major consequences. And the fact that there is no second coming means that these false teachers were saying, so you can just live like you want. God's not coming back. What do we see when we look at this world? What do we see um, as we go throughout our day? So... The goal for me this morning is to help you to focus on the right thing. And an example that I want to use is um, many of you probably played Little League Baseball, coach pitch baseball. Some of you may not have. Some of you may have coached. And so I got to help you out a little bit. One of the things is that when they're teaching kids baseball, there's a moment in which uh, you might go from t-ball to coach pitch, and that's where an adult that is on your team is pitching, and the goal is for the kid to hit the ball. And so, uh, one of the things that I got drug into at a, at, at a time when I didn't know a whole lot about baseball was, was helping out in this, and uh, I'll, I'll probably embarrass him, but when Miles uh, was playing coach pitch baseball, um, one of the things that happened early on was Miles was up there, great athlete. We thought, man, he's just going to be this awesome baseball player. And one of the first things that happened, before the coach even pitched the ball, Miles would swing, turn around in a 360, hold up his hands in the air, and fall in the dirt. Now, the problem was, everybody, it was the cutest thing you'd ever seen. Everybody in the stands would laugh. So guess what Miles did every time he got up to bat? You didn't even have to throw the ball. You could just hold the ball up, and it was... Right? There was another kid on his team that ended up being a really, really good baseball player, but he was obsessed with rocks. And so he would be going up to bat, and you'd look in his back baseball pants pockets, and it's just bulging with rocks. And his dad would get so angry at him. 
So one of the things as I started helping out coaching is that I knew it was my job to help the kid at the plate to focus. And I was taught some tricks. And one of the tricks I was taught by a baseball player who happens to be here was you hold that ball up and you want to make sure their eyeballs and their head are tracking with the ball. And so you take that ball and you wave it around. And sometimes the kid's like, you're like, no, 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 Johnny, focus. Here's the ball. And another trick that that I was taught is that you you tell the player, hey, listen, you're not going to swing. Just watch the ball go by. And so you throw it, you know, way over to a different place. And what you want to see is little Johnny watch the ball because then you know they're ready. They're focused. And then you throw the ball in there and hopefully they hit it. My job this morning is like the coach in coach pitch baseball with you to tell you, here's the ball. My job is really almost as a cheerleader of waving my arms and saying, do you see the ball? And it's of vital importance. A lot is at stake if we don't see the ball. One of the things that we see from this text is that we see a really good example of how we miss reality. I, I want you to see this with me this morning. Look at verse 4. Let's jump into verse 4. There, there are scoffers, it tells us in verse 3. And in verse 4, notice this. This is what they're saying. This is how they're luring people out. It says, where's the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. So what they're saying is, is they're saying, oh, no, look at the world. Look. We, we implore you, look. Where is this coming? What's been going on is people live and die. Live and die. Live and die. I see no evidence that God has acted in such a way that we can rest assured that He's coming again. The evidence that I see is that He's not coming again. Look at the world. Notice in verse 5. For when they maintain this, when they maintain this idea, when the, the way that they look at the world, when they maintain that mind frame, it escapes their notice. So when they look out and they see the world and they look at the world in a certain way and when they maintain the way that they're looking at the world, it escapes their notice, the reality of what is really going on in the world. Two examples that I want to use. Let's say that I believe there are no snakes on Signal Mountain. See, some of you know there are. And so what I, let's say, so what I were to do were to open the door and one at a time bring you out and say, look, look at the woods. Do you see a snake? I don't. No snakes on the mountain. Shut the door. Now, you would say to me, Lewis, you're not seeing things correctly. From way back here, you can see a little snake slithering along, a snake that may be this big, but could actually kill you. Where we choose to look determines what we believe. I want to give a better example. 
let's say that we were uh, on vacation at a beach somewhere. And that somebody came to you and said, hey, listen, there's this really awesome island about three miles out into the ocean. And I tell you, the best way to get there, if you really want to experience this, is we're going to paddleboard out there. And you say, man, that sounds awesome. I'm in. So you wake up the next morning, and here comes the guy that's taking you out there. He's got a GPS. He knows how to get there. He's got food. He's got water. He's even got a little whistle just in case you get stranded out there and, you know, uh, I don't know, a rock to throw at a shark or something. I... And so he's geared up, he's ready to go, and you go out and you look at the morning and he says, oh, this is a perfect day to do this. Look, the sun's out. Look at the sun. Look at the seas, they're calm. And you're like, oh man, I'm trusting this guy, let's go. And let's say you start out and all of a sudden here comes a boat and he says, hey idiots, what are you doing? We're going to this island. Look, there's a tropical storm coming. It is calm now, but things are getting ready to get bad. And if you continue out to that island, you're going to die. You're going to be stranded. There is no way that you get a couple miles out in the ocean and that you can make it back in. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is almost exactly what these scoffers and these people are doing. They are looking at the world. They are looking at things of this world that are enticing. Of, of the weather, of the calm seas, of this promise of this thing out here. And they're saying, hey, everything's okay. Everything's okay. Focus on these things. What could happen? How crazy would it be for the boat to tell you, hey, I've seen the radar, I've seen the storm coming. In fact, look, here, you can see it for yourself. And instead of looking at that and realizing that that is the most important reality in front of you, you say, no, 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 no. Weather looks good to me. Brothers and sisters, many times this is what we do. The problem is where we're getting our information from. And look how Peter addresses these, this problem in these verses. Look at verse 5. Peter goes to, remember verses 1 and verse 2, he's writing to remind you to stir up your mind by helping you to remember the word spoken beforehand. Peter goes to the word. Peter goes to God. He goes to truth. And he says this, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that the word of God that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And what Peter is saying in this little phrase, and he repeats it in verse 7, by the word of God, this means by God's decree, by God's plan. That there is a God and that He created. And, and in reality, if we were to go really deep into this verse, what we, were to, what we would see is that the idea here is that there was Chaos and God brought order to chaos. And so God and His Word, His decree is the source of truth. It's the reality. It's the thing that matters most. And notice Peter doesn't stop there. Not only did God create the heavens and the earth, but through which, through which the world at that time was destroyed by being flooded with water. And here again, Peter is drawing on this image, this, 
this account of Noah and the flood, which we have talked about, that the people to whom Peter was writing were very familiar with this story. And he's going and he's pointing them back again to the Word, to, to an account that they would know. And he's saying, look at the truth. God created. God intervened in the time of Noah. We see a God who does not like sin. And in the time of Noah, what do you think the people were saying to Noah? You're crazy. What? Flood? Destruction? Ah, You're crazy, Noah. Look at this world. What are you doing up there in that boat? Come on out. Live life a little bit. But Noah trusted God. And Peter is drawing us into this and telling us the reality of the situation in which we live is that God is on the throne. And this is where we are to get our information is from him and by looking at his word. And then notice again in verse seven, but by his word. His decree, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. The reality of the situation is much more dire than these scoffers would want you to believe. Believers, we have a question before us. Where are we getting our information? Where are we getting our reality? Are we looking at the narrative of Scripture as true, more true than anything, and folding ourselves up into that, and then living our lives according to this truth? Or are we looking at this world, making judgments, and letting people deter us from the truth of the gospel into living lives that are ineffective? Kids, what is the greatest reality that you're living for? Moms and dads, are we guilty of looking at the world and telling our children that the greatest reality that they have is to make it big in the world, to be the smartest, to be the most athletic? To, to be the prettiest, to make your dent in this world? Or are we casting a vision in our home for ourselves and our kids according to the greatest reality, the truest of the true? Maybe you don't have kids in the home. Maybe you are retired. What are you living for? Maybe some of you are on the cusp of retirement and that's the goal. <laughs> and that God wants you this morning to be reoriented to the truth of His Word. It's my job again this morning to wave around this ball and say, do you really believe? And for me to help you quiet the noise coming from other places and focus on reality.
One of the things you need to know to help you to fight against the pull of the world, to help you quiet uh, the screams from the world, is that you need to know that there are forces against you. Did you see that in this text? Uh, Look at verse 3 with me again. Know first of all that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking. We saw this earlier in 2 Peter, didn't we? Where he said there have always been false teachers and there will always be false teachers until God comes and makes everything right. So there's always going to be people. Satan is always going to send uh, people and things into our path to try to disrupt us and to distract us. In fact, do you recall the first words out of Satan's mouth when he spoke to a human being? Did God really say? (laughs) Don't listen to him. Look at that tree. And that tree is good for eating. Did God really say? Mocking. And it should be no surprise to us that this is the same way that Satan works in our day and age. He is sending mockers and scoffers. And the question that is being begged of us is, ah, did God really say? Or is God holding out on you? A sober view of the world is knowing that this is the goal of some and they are here to entice. I want you to look at chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. It says, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Notice this, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Notice then again in verse 3, mockers will come mocking, following after their own lust. That these folks are enslaved to their own lust. And as they are enslaved to their own lust, they are spreading their message, their version of the gospel, which is geared to enslave you. And so we have to be aware, we have to know that these folks are there, that these folks are invading the church. And so not only are there mockers, but there is this message that just permeates culture from day one. It permeated this culture and it's permeating our culture. Now, one of the things you've heard me say as we've looked at Second Peter is that I don't know any um, pastors or teachers necessarily that are out here saying, hey, there's no second coming, right? In the circles that I listen to or the radio stations that I listen to, I don't hear that. But I do hear subtle false messages that's distorting the last days and the last times in trying to manipulate us to take our eyes off of the Lord and get our eyes on something else. And subtle changes, subtle, um, subtle error is huge because it gives way to 
huge miscalculations. It gives way to um, basing our lives on things that we shouldn't be basing our lives on and creates behaviors that are destructive. So one of the things that, you know, I've told you I was an am still an untrained baseball guy. And what's amazing is that you get somebody who knows baseball and they can watch somebody swing and they're like, oh, here's the problem. And, And I can't see it. I've got an untrained eye. You know, I was just like, hey, just hit the ball, you know. And so two things that I learned, especially in little kids. One of the things that kids do when they're trying to hit a baseball, a lot of times they'll step out. So the ball will come and that foot will step out. And what happens when you step out? You go from swinging here to when you step out, your bat lowers. And so you miss the ball. Subtle change. Subtle mistake. One step the wrong way and you miss the ball completely. One of the other things I learned about little kids that they do, and big kids, you'll see this in big kids too. One of the other things that I learned is that people will, little kids will pull their head out. Same thing, right? That the goal in hitting a baseball, you're keeping focus, eye on the ball, your head stays in and boom, you hit the baseball. What happens when you pull your head out? See my shoulders? Under the ball, you miss it again. Subtle changes mean everything. And so the goal in baseball is to train these kids to do it the right way, to train them to to see and to act and react in the right ways. Brothers and sisters, in our faith, as we're listening to things on the radio, as we're listening to messages that are coming in, as we're listening to preachers or people who are saying that they're preachers and they're teachers, we've got to watch out For subtle error that leads to major problems. And one of the ones that is invading our day and age is this whole idea. This whole idea that God's main aim in this world is for you to be what? Happy. Now this is a subtle change. Does God want us to be happy? Yes, In Him. Right? So that we're going through life and we're having difficulties. Maybe, you know, some of you are experiencing some some pretty major illnesses. Some of you uh, have lost loved ones. Uh, There's major heartache and headache that is going on. And, And so what God does want is God wants you and He graciously meets us in the midst of our troubles and our hardships and he loves us and we're comforted by him and so the bible talks a lot about joy in the midst of difficult circumstances but this whole idea this false doctrine that god wants you to be happy has led to some things that are just despicable i was listening to the radio this week thinking about this message and i hear this person talking about the book of ruth and i never knew this but did you know that one of the implications of the book of Ruth is that, all right, young women who are unmarried, get this. If you do what's right and you put yourself in the right position, you'll marry a rich man. Huh. The one that hits really home to me is, you know, 20 years of counseling. One of the things that I used to hear a ton when I was in it full time. This may shock you, but I would have men come in to see me. 
who found out I was a Christian counselor and wanted to come talk to a Christian counselor. And here's why they wanted to come talk to a Christian counselor. They'd say, all right, Lewis, so I need you to maybe pray with me through this dilemma I'm having. Okay, so here's the deal. I'm in a really rough marriage. And I know God wants me to be happy. And I met this other lady and we've been having this affair. And I really think this might be my answer to prayer. See a subtle shift, major implications. God wants me to be happy. So the implications of that is I can just make a shipwreck out of any standard or uh, idea of holiness. So I don't trust in him. And and the, the subtle shift becomes this. God is no longer the center of the universe. I'm the center of the universe. And God is there to serve and meet my needs. If that is our view of the world, we miss the ball every You are useless in the kingdom. We must know what matters most. We must know and focus on the right things. We must be getting our information from the right place. We must be in this word. We must be learning about who we are who we are and who God is and our relationship to Him. And we must find the joy and the glory that is seen in that. And the greatest news, the greatest news, He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. His promises are true, they're right, they're sure, and it'll blow away anything this world has to offer. And it's what we can base our life on. And so what we need as a church is the extension of last week, is that we need to be stirred, we need to be awakened, we need to be revived to the reality of the situation that we're truly in. And that we need to live life with the gospel message, the full gospel message right in front of us at all times. One of the other things that I, lo- I loved in pitching to young kids was every now and then uh, I would get a kid who would just chatter the whole time. So you'd get up there to throw the ball to him. And he's like, oh, Coach Lewis, Coach Lewis, can I get some candy? Can I get some candy? And you're like, oh, I almost said his name. There's one in particular. He was awesome. But you want to be, oop, shut it. But what was going on in his head is that he was distracted by the whole, by everything else around him. And he may even be looking at me, but he wasn't focused. He wasn't looking at the ball. And then there was one of my favorite kids to pitch to, who happens to be here as well. And he would get up to that plate. He would dig that front foot in. And he would look at me when he was like five years old. And it was just like, okay, we're going to do this, coach. He watched that ball the whole time. He was trained well. He knew what his job was. And I want us to be like that young man in our walk with the Lord, in our walk in this world. I want us dug in. I want us ready. I want us to see the reality of the situation. I want this for you because, again, we have been saved by the grace of God and we are here on this earth until either He comes or we die in order to live 
in such a way to display the glory and goodness of Christ. And that is the greatest reality of the universe. This week I met with a uh, young man from another country. Uh, he came from a communist country. A Chinese, he was Chinese and he was just heartbroken over what he had allowed, as he was confessing this to me, over what he had allowed our current times to do to him. This is a young man who uh, would go out and just share the gospel everywhere. And to him, it blew, America kind of blew his mind because he was coming from a place of communist China where you couldn't just proclaim the good news without repercussions. And I, don't, I think he didn't understand what in the world Christians in this country were doing. And he was lamenting the fact that he had lost courage because of COVID and social unrest and other things. He had lost courage and he was just literally screaming. Thankfully, it was 6.30 in the morning and uh, nobody, else was, uh, nobody else was around at the business where I was that could hear him. But he was just talking about, oh, why am I fearing this? There's a greater reality. There's a greater fear out there than what's currently going on. And we see that this morning. And so I want to ask you, are you striking out this morning? One of the things that I, I do love is the whole idea of, of Advent. Advent is a time on a liturgical calendar where we take time and we remember and think about certain things. And of course, during this time, we are thinking about Jesus coming and invading the earth. God sending His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the greatest reality that there is. And, and one of the things that we should always be thinking about, and that in the years past I've challenged you when we think about Advent is that we think about th that news is so good because the bad news was so bad. So we need to understand the whole picture and not be lulled asleep like folks in this text were being lulled asleep. Is that the bad news was bad. The good news of Christ and His, car and His cross and taking on our sin and shame is the greatest news ever. And we also need to live in light of the reality that Christ will come again. And Jesus asks many times, and I want to leave you with this question, how will you be found when He returns? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank You for Your mercy, for Your grace, and for Your truth. God, my mind and heart are so prone to wonder on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis. This world is full of distractions and aims and goals that if taken as ultimate reality is horrific. God, help us to be a people. Signal Mountain Bible Church. Help us to be a people who are exploding with the greatest news. Help us to be a people who know the times. Help us to be a people who keep our eye on the reality of our situation. 
We do it by reading your word and by gathering together and reminding one another. God, I pray that your spirit would just empower us to keep this in front of us at all times. We pray for all this only through your son in whose name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand.